I want to turn you to a passage in Zechariah chapter 11, next to the last prophetic book in the Old Testament scriptures. I thought about titling this message 30 Pieces of Silver, because we have, of course, the prophecy concerning 30 pieces of silver in this passage, but rather settled upon the divine potter. And you will have to carefully study, and as the warning came, it's not going to be a small study, and yet an incredible prophecy that we look into. And as we think even of our Lord and as he was sold by Judas Iscariot into uh, the hands of the Jewish officials and then the Romans for crucifixion, we, uh, <clears throat> we find some things that open up and teach us the consequences of that, actually, in Zechariah chapter 11. It's an incredible prophecy. We'll read in the 11th chapter of Zechariah, beginning at verse 3, and read through verse 14. There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. Thus saith the Lord my God, Feed the flock of the slaughter, whose possessors slay them, and hold themselves not guilty. And they that sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their own shepherds pity them not. For I will no more have pity upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. But lo, I will deliver the men every one into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. And they shall smite the land, and out of their hand I will not deliver them. And I will feed the flock of slaughter, even you, O poor of the flock. And I took unto me two staves, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bands, and I fed the flock. Three shepherds also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then said I, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one the flesh of another. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder, that I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people. And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If you think me good... Give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter. A goodly price 
that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the, to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. A lot of features in that prophecy, correct? A lot of things to consider. And I'm well aware, and I debated with myself and did much praying about bringing forth this passage, but believing that we have people in this congregation who are serious students of the word. That's not the television or the computer or movies or things that take their hearts, but that their desire is to know God, the God of truth, and they spend their time with him and in his word. Those alone will probably be able to receive what we are proclaiming here this day. But as we look into this chapter, we find a remarkable prophecy. Of course, there are many remarkable prophecies in the Old Testament, but they're all interwoven together. That's the marvelous thing about the Scripture. The prophets, though we read of them in a 1,500-year period of time, they spoke with one voice. It's all interwoven together. It's like a wondrous tapestry, a beauty of which when beheld in the soul of man, there's nothing to compare to it, nothing in this world that can be compared to these glorious things. So much so that when we read in this chapter of Jehovah's staves, which is speaking of the shepherd's staff, the first thing being beauty, and then the second, the binding of the nation together, bands, the first is evidently the cause of the second, and uh, <clears throat> there could not be impossible to be a greater binding of unity than that which comes by the beauty, the beauty of the Lord himself being upon them. The beauty of God was upon that nation. The gloriousness of his works in them and manifesting himself to them. They were the repositories of the Holy Scriptures, the divine oracles, the word of God was given to their nation. They were given, if you please, favored nation status. God says in Amos chapter 3, verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. That doesn't mean God didn't know about all the other families. He created them. That means he had a special relationship with that one nation, that tiny nation. They were brought into covenant with the living God at Sinai. And God himself made himself specially known to them And says to them through Moses in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. He gave them his holy law. He therein revealed his mercy also by giving them priest, altar, sacrifice, 
the central features of the tabernacle and the temple. So that he would teach them both of his holiness and of his mercy. Showing that even when they sinned, gracious provision was made by atonement. So that Jehovah, Jehovah, God, Jehovah would dwell among them. And he would be their shepherd. Jehovah, their shepherd. Moses could thus write in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Through law and sacrifice, through prophecy and promise, through the manifested presence of the very glory of God in the tabernacle of witness, with its ark of the covenant and the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, the beauty of Jehovah would shine forth unto them. Very few beheld that beauty. I fear very few this day behold that beauty, for their hearts seem to be taken with other things. But that beauty was made known to David, and that beauty was beheld by him, so that he could write in Psalm 24, Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Prophecy, promise, woven throughout the Old Testament scriptures, would reveal the glorious truth that Jehovah himself would come specially to the nation. And wonder of wonders would himself be beheld by them. He would be in their midst. Jehovah, their shepherd. Of course, that was specially taught in Isaiah 40, if you want to look there. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 8 through 11. And the prophet Isaiah was given to write, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead them with young. Those that are with young. Jehovah would come to the nation, God in their midst, to be their shepherd. 
as in our passage as well in Zechariah chapter 11. It is Jehovah who would feed the flock. And yet something else is revealed in this prophecy of Zechariah. He would be a man as well. He would be a man who would suffer at the command of God. And yet one who would be in the closest association with God would have a unique kinship with God. As a matter of fact, would be equal. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my fellow, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, one so closely associated that equal, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. The prophecy we know fulfilled in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look into Isaiah, or rather Zechariah chapter 11, we're looking at the time of the fulfillment. Although that would be five centuries from the writing of this prophecy. Yet we're looking at what would take place in the fulfillment. The time when Jehovah would come to the nation. The very shepherd of Israel. And we find the treatment he would receive. We're also taught, if we have eyes to see and comprehend the nature of some of these symbols in Zechariah chapter 11, the consequences thereof as well. He came as promised. He came unto his own to those to whom he was related by special covenant, what was the outcome? His own received him not. We have an incredible prophecy. And now I must tell you again that you must follow it closely. And if you have a heart for God and his truth and his word, and eyes open, it will be marvelous in your eyes. The good shepherd asks for his wages. His wages. When he receives his wages, this terminates his office to the earthly Israel. And breaks the covenant that was made with the nation. Particularly in verses 10 through 14. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder. That I might break my covenant which I had made with all the people. And it was broken in that day. 
And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, if you think me good, if you think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it under the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. In prophetic scripture, there are things that prevent us from over-literalizing. That's where people get in trouble. They don't comprehend the difference of the nature of the old covenant and the new covenant, the temporary condition of the one, the permanent condition of the other. They sometimes don't understand that you don't over-literalize Scripture. Features in prophetic Scripture teach us not to do that. And so, God will sometimes, through the prophets, prevent, this, uh, pre prevent, uh, prevent, present the same truth, but it comes under differing figures when the same thing is being spoken of. Or, there is sometimes combi combined a literal fulfillment with a transcendent or spiritual meaning. That's the case with Zechariah chapter 11. In the 14th chapter of this prophecy, if you look into chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, you find living waters going out from Jerusalem to all the earth. And Jerusalem is exalted along with the universal reign of Jehovah. Jehovah now reigns not simply in that nation, but in the earth. So we read in chapter 14 and in verses 8 through 10. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to uh, to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's wine presses. So, here in this prophecy, we have living waters going out. You read Ezekiel, correct? Same living waters that go forth from Ezekiel's symbolic temple they go out from the fresh threshold of the door wherever they go bringing life it's the same water the Lord Jesus spoke to the woman at the well about when he said if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee give me water thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given unto thee living water but Jerusalem is both a plain and lifted up in the passage so in both Isaiah and Micah, and I'm telling you, you're going to have to study and follow me. 
In both Isaiah and Micah, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, and in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, quote, The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills. That is Jerusalem, which is above. That is the new Jerusalem that's over all the earth and all the nations of the earth where his people are in them. Mountains in prophetic scripture speak of kingdoms and nations. The truth is revealed in the New Testament scriptures. And the truth revealed in the New Testament scriptures is that there are two Jerusalems. There are two Jerusalems. There's an earthly Jerusalem. And there's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's an old Jerusalem. And there's a new Jerusalem. As we're taught. And we won't go there, but you can take the, the reference in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 26. Jerusalem, which is above, Paul writes, is the mother of us all the true eternal Jerusalem, the new covenant Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. So in our present passage, in the rejection of the good shepherd of Israel, the nation is called the flock of slaughter. And the shepherd ominously ceases feeding the flock. What a horrific thing. In Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 7. And I will feed the flock of slaughter. And in verse 9. Then said I, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one the flesh of another. Yet, the shepherd does not completely stop his feeding. He feeds those who are termed the poor of the flock. In verse 7. And they are those who are, as we understand as our Lord teaches us in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the poor in spirit. Those who have nothing in themselves knowing their need of the shepherd waiting on him trusting him only he continues to feed them when the covenant with the nation is broken verses 10 and 11 and I took my staff even beauty and cut it asunder that I might break my covenant which I'd made with all the people and it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock waited upon me, that waited upon me, knew that it was the word of the Lord. That poor of the flock, they're called in other places the remnant of Israel in the Old Testament. These form the new Jerusalem. And as our Lord through the Apostle Paul teaches us so clearly in the doctrinal epistles of the New Testament, these are those to whom the vast number of elect Gentiles are added, which will then comprise the Israel of God. 
the Apostle Paul clearly taught in Romans 9, verses 6 and following, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. They that are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And to that promise, the Gentiles are added. And that promise going forth in what we comprehend as the wondrous gospel of the Son of God. The Gentiles who were far off. The Gentiles who had nothing to do with that old covenant nation and the old covenant made with Israel. The Gentiles, who Paul writes about them in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Wherefore remember that ye being Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are drawn nigh. We're drawn nigh to those things to which we were strangers when in Christ. There are features in our present passage, verses 10 through 14, as we consider particularly, that are fulfilled, of course, in our Lord. And then there are variations. These variations have a transcendent meaning. When Judas betrayed our Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, out of the money that was in his possession, he, of course, threw it back to the priest who then would buy the potter's field where strangers would be buried. We'll deal with that somewhat later. The money was in his hands. And it was not literally thrown to the potter but was thrown down before the priest. They would then buy the potter's field. But it has a special meaning for us also in Zechariah as well. In our passage, the prophetic element prevails. And the context presents to us an incredible prophecy, a remarkable prophecy. It shows exactly what would happen when Christ came unto his own and his own received him not. When he comes, three shepherds are cut off, according to verse 8. Three shepherds. Also I cut off in one month, and my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Do you remember who loathed the Lord Jesus Christ the most in the New Testament? The priests, the Pharisees, the rulers. Three shepherds, those who were set for the guidance of the nation. Those were the offices given to Israel, prince, prophet, priest. And in this remarkable prophecy in verse 11, 
from that day of verse 11 the earthly nation has not had nor shall ever again have king prophet priest but the holy nation does have king prophet priest but in one person one shepherd the lord jesus christ are you following it's incredible prophecy really is comprehended right the word of god would be withdrawn from the nation my that's a solemn thing what a horrendous thing when god withdraws his word It's a fearful thing to put other things in the place that belongs to God and His truth. The Word of God withdrawn from the nation. Verse 9, Then said I, I will not feed you. That that dieth, let it die. God feeds us with His truth. The covenant that was made with them. They who were the very repository of the oracles of God. Was forever broken. In verse 10. And I took my staff, even beauty, and cut it asunder. That I might break my covenant. Which I'd made with all the people. Then... There are two transactions that are a very special note in the passage. The good shepherd asked for his wages, which will formally discharge him from all obligation to the now broken covenant. So that the earthly nation will no longer be his flock. It is no longer the holy nation. Jerusalem is no longer the holy city. The price is received. What is the price? 30 pieces of silver. Then Zechariah, Zechariah, in his prophetic office is here representing the shepherd. He secures the services of the potter with the 30 pieces of silver. In verse 13. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now we know that in the fulfillment it was actually the priest who had received back the betrayer's money and he purchased, purchased with that money the potter's field. Now this will be important if you want to really study. The potter's field was located at the entrance to the valley of Hinnom. It was there where strangers were to be buried 
because otherwise they would defile the Jewish cemeteries that were in the city. So we're brought to consider the significant, the colossal meaning of the purchase of the potter's services. That's what we're going to be looking at particularly now. The purchase of the potter's services, which in New Testament fulfillment also secured the potter's field. Now this, you'll have to really prayerfully follow in and seek that God would open heart and mind. No prophecy of the scripture stands alone. All is vitally and marvelously interwoven together, yielding the meaning for us of the divine author. There's nothing like it, nothing like prophecy. It is all one. It is all together. Of all these different prophets and different writers, all speak with one voice. So Peter, when writing of the divine inspiration of prophetic scripture, that this is the work of God's Holy Spirit, he does not simply speak of prophecies, plural, inspired, but rather prophecy, singular. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. He puts the prophets together, speaking with one voice. One glorious voice. God so moved the conditions of the minds and the hearts and the hands of the scripture writers that he gave us the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that inspiration of God is wondrously displayed in the oneness of the voice of the prophets. After the gospel would go forth and there would be the conference at Jerusalem about Gentiles, being saved, when the question of how both Jews and Gentiles are saved at that Jerusalem conference in Acts chapter 15, and it was settled there, Pastor James quotes only one prophecy. He takes that prophecy from the prophet Amos. But then in chapter 15 of Acts in verse 15, he says, to this agree the words of the prophet. They speak with one voice. But now we're going to go a little deeper. The waters are going to get some deeper. To understand why the potter is at all mentioned in Zechariah's prophecy. You have to go to its source. You have to go to the source of the prophecy. And it's not in Zechariah. The source of the prophecy is in Jeremiah. And that's very important because the New Testament attributes it to Jeremiah. And this prophecy finds its source in Jeremiah. 
And that's where its rooting is to be found, out of which it grows. And it's in the prophecy, if you look in Jeremiah chapter 18, we'll look at some things. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and 19, very important passages, that which is drawn upon in Zechariah chapter 11. So essentially, here we have the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is instructed to go to the potter's house. It was the potter who crafted the holy pots and bowls and vessels for the temple. Jeremiah is to go to the potter's house and observe the work. In Jeremiah chapter 18, in the first four verses, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and beheld, or behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter. The potter here represents Jehovah as we have in chapter 18 of Jeremiah in verse 6. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. The symbol, the symbol is to represent God's judgment upon the apostate, rebellious, and idolatrous nation. Verses 14 through 17 of Jeremiah chapter 18. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field, or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Because my people hath forgotten me. They have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths in a way not cast up, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Every one that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Then keep following me. In the 19th chapter of Jeremiah, he's instructed himself to act out the prophecy. In chapter 19, in the first two verses, Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people, and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee. And that's very important to the understanding of this prophecy. The action where it must take place. The action that Jeremiah is to work out, as it were, is to be in the valley of the son of Hinnom. 
And he said, well, what's so important about the valley of the son of Hinnom? We'll see. We'll see. The valley of the son of Hinnom was outside of the eastern gate of Jerusalem. It's outside the gate. That gate looks toward the Gentile world. There, in the valley of the son of Hinnom, in a portion that's called Tophet, which is a place that was considered indeed defiled and abominated by the worship of Baal. And it was also thought that this is where uh, children were made to pass through the fire to Moloch. This is where the prophetic action would take place. If you're following me, this is incredibly important. In chapter 19, verses 10 through 12 of Jeremiah, which I'm going to have to go back to, Jeremiah Chapter 19 and verses 10 through 12. Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel, notice, that cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet, till there be no hope or no place to bury. Thus will I do unto this place, saith the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, and even make this city as Tophet. Well, we'll just have to let those who hold to a false prophetic scheme of a restoration of the carnal Israel, we'll let them wrestle with the words, cannot be made whole again. A wholesome, a wholeness would come. But it would not come by the old vessel. It would come by the newly formed vessel, by the potter's hand. In chapter 18 and verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make. And it would be made without the gate. Outside, apart from the earthly Jerusalem, it would be made at the valley of the son of Hinnom. And it is a new Jerusalem, a new Israel, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, male or female. The valley of the son of Hinnom became the place where all the filth of the city was poured. The trash of the city was dumped there. It was burned day and night, never stopped, always burning there, never quenched. Well, if you know something about your Bible, you may suspect that the Hebrew Hinnom is the Greek G. 
Gehenna. What's important about that? It's the strongest word for hell in the New Testament. Where the fire is never quenched. Gehenna. The potter's field was at the entrance to Gehenna. And there, the old vessel would be broken. But from the clay, which was the finest, by the way, and purest white clay, where the temple potter got his clay for the material of the vessels to go in the temple. The obvious reason Zechariah calls the earthly nation the flock of slaughter is because it's taken from the root of his prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 19 and in verse 6. Therefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Obviously, that's where Zechariah draws his prophecy as well. But from the same place, God would create another nation, a holy nation. I hope you're following. I know this is deep water, but it's wondrous truth. I know we live in a shallow day when men aren't able to receive and take in the word because their hearts are everywhere else. And because God is not the God that they love supremely. But I hope that's not the case here. That we have those who are vitally interested in God's truth. In the same place, God would make a new vessel. In Romans chapter 9, verse 26, the Apostle Paul wrote, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, that is, Gentiles, you're not my people. There shall they be called the children of the living God. We who are in Christ, whom God has called by his gospel. We who have beheld by the wondrous, glorious reality our sins being purged by the death of the Son of God laid on him. We who've been brought under God's convicting work to behold Jesus Christ and him crucified. We who have been saved by God's wondrous grace. Guess where God found us? found us at the mouth of hell. He found us at the mouth of hell. He reached down and lifted us up from it. And as it seemed good to the potter, made us a new nation, forming us eventually into the very image of his son. This is a glorious prophet. It's a wondrous prophecy. If we have eyes to see, 
and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And we should cry to God always for that understanding. Let not the things of this passing, foolish, vain world take our hearts, our attention, our time. God help us. Talk about the satanic enticements. They're there everywhere, aren't they, John? All over the place. Don't be taken in by them. It will be to your detriment eventually. It might seem pleasuresome for a very short period of time, and then it's over forever. God found us at the mouth of hell. He reached down and lifted us from it as it seemed good to the potter, made us a new holy nation. Well, bear with me a few more minutes. There should be no problem then in understanding something in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, and verses 3 through 10. Well, actually, yeah, verses 3 through 10. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. That's him. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. You remember what we emphasized? The prophet spoke with how many voices? One voice. One voice. There are those who ignorantly try to defame the scriptures because here we have Jeremiah, not Zechariah. Jeremiah. But Matthew didn't make any mistake. He made no mistake. Nor was there a scribal error whatsoever. This is rather one of the highest marks of divine inspiration. As God the Holy Spirit who weaved all prophecy together, directs us to the prophet Jeremiah where we learn the meaning. 
for 30 pieces of silver, the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. This was no afterthought. This was nothing that took God by surprise. It was all by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. By means of 30 pieces of silver, which was, by the way, the price in Israel for a menial servant who was gored by an ox, according to Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. 30 pieces of silver. By 30 pieces of silver, the Lord ended the old covenant with Israel. And established a new covenant and a new covenant Israel. But this glorious servant who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, he who is the servant of Jehovah, God calls us to behold him. It's of him God writes through the prophet in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I hold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. In similar language, the father declares that the servant whom he sent into this world has a far higher title. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. By means of 30 pieces of silver. He was delivered. Into the hands of sinful men. But under the purpose of God. He was delivered up for us. Surely. He has borne our sorrows, carried our griefs and sorrows, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He is the good shepherd. He is still the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he redeems, he calls, he secures forever those sheep for whom he offers his blood. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. If you ever hear that in truth, if you ever believe that in reality, if you ever brought in the dust of repentance to look to him and trust him only, recognizing what it took to redeem you from the awful reality of sin. You'll never be the same. You'll have the way to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you hear his voice? He calls his own by name. Do you hear his voice? Those who hear him come in turn to follow him.
when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And the stranger will they not follow. My sheep, the Lord says, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You tell me what is greater to be known than this. He is the one who loved us, gave himself for us. Your heart should belong to him. Your desire to learn of him. Your yearning to grow more and more in the knowledge of him. That the grace of God may operate within you. And the toys of this world be put away that hinder you from that. For that will be great trouble in the end. He, may he be our all in all. May God bless the ministry of his holy word. We'll take a hymn. Do we know the tune? Yeah, we know the tune. Let's stand. Sing two ninety four. Great the heart and wonders great by thy strength.
I didn't know how much you could take into that prophecy. I hope you took enough in to see it. This is God's word. No one but the living God can do this. It starts early in Genesis. It goes all through Malachi. It points to one. He, not the little nation Israel, as the dispensationalist teaches, he is the one prophecy is all about. All in him. All the promises of God in him. Yea and amen. All the truth of God in him. He is the truth. God help us as a pastor. I am concerned over some of you and your spiritual condition. There needs to be a repentance. And the warning comes from the Lord. A turning away from the things that are going to do you harm. But it becomes so enamored in you. And only God can rend them away. Why did I tell you that? Because I care. Eternity is on us. The world should not be that which takes our hearts. Right? Amen? And what a message we're going to have to deal with this afternoon. We don't seem to have a consciousness of what sin's about in this day much. It's horrendous. Far greater is redemption. And what that redemption from sin brings. I happen to love you. Or I wouldn't tell you the truth. Kenneth, please dismiss us in prayer. <laughs>